Lord, I thank you for just the worship, Lord, and what a sweet time it was, Lord. And God, that you have given us not only a variety of voices, Lord, and that our voices, Lord, can all join together and make this beautiful, amazing sound. But God, you've given us a variety of instruments, Lord, and a variety of talents and gifts, Lord God, to be used for your glory. And it's just such an awesome thing, Lord, to just be able to, um, as a, a church, Lord, to just worship, worship your name, Lord, in, in music. And Father, now as we dig into your word, Lord, we know that worship continues, God, that we are worshiping you, Lord, by opening our own hearts, Lord, by opening, uh, well, you're doing the opening, God. We're just asking you to do it, Father. Open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, God, and get us ready for what you want to speak to us, Lord. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, hold on. <laughs> I don't want, if my phone goes off, you guys can pelt me. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. I'm nervous. Okay. <laughs> so you guys, last week we looked through chapter eight and we started kind of like looking through at the ways that Jesus interacted with humanity. And remember, we talked a little bit about this uh, thing that all Jewish men, all like Orthodox Jewish men were supposed to say, which was kind of a really not cool statement, right? It was that, uh, you know, thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile a woman or a slave. Remember that? And it was such a rough statement to say, and it goes against the heart of God in so many ways. And this is something that we find in the Talmud. It's not even in the writings in the Old Testament anywhere. This is something that they just kind of made up, right? So I'm just pointing that out. Like, don't think that that's some biblical thing. That's just something the Jews did at the time. But the reality is, guys, is what did we see through this last section? We saw Jesus heal a leper by touching him. Right? And we talked about the fact that Jesus didn't break the law, so he probably healed him right before he touched him. But the fact is, is what is a leper looking for more than anything in this whole world? Touch. And that's how Jesus met him and just said, I love you and I'm healing you. And, and then we saw him dealing with a Gentile, Roman centurion, who needed his slave healed, right? Because he loved this servant and he was a man that was actually following after Yahweh, which was very uncommon in the Roman world. So here's this guy, and Jesus actually says of him, like, in all of this land that I'm walking through, have I seen, I've never seen faith like this man has. And he's talking about a Gentile. So can you, you can imagine the scribes and everyone else that was standing around listening to that maybe were like, what did you just say? Right? Like, he just said that a Gentile had more faith than we do? So, and then we saw him come in, not be asked by anybody, he comes into Peter's house, Right? This is how we know Peter has a wife because he has a mother-in-law. And so he goes in and he touches Peter's mother-in-law's uh, hand and, and, and not just heals her of her fever, but like restores her entirely to the point that she does what all believers should be doing as we're restored, which is stand up and serve. Yeah. And so we see Jesus kind of showing us what servant leadership looks like, showing us what it looks like to pour out of ourselves and pour into people. This week, we're going to hear some really hard sayings that Jesus spoke about being a disciple. And so put on your big boy and big girl pants because <laughs> we're about to step in it. But I want you guys to know that like, I just want you to hear my heart on this is that I'm preaching what I feel like the Lord's given me to teach. I'm, I'm with you in this when I'm talking. Okay. This is not me hammering on anybody. So I'm just throwing that caveat out. So remember that at the end. Verse 18 says this, and when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. 
Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So Jesus, he saw all these multitudes gathering around him, and he says, you know what, we're, we're, we're not going to stick around here, right? Because remember, he had spent all night, we read right up above that, healing and, and healing people of, of demon possession and healing people of all these infirmities and all these sicknesses, and then he's not interested in the crowd, so he gets in to a boat and, and heads over to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And I want you guys to recognize the fact that all throughout Scripture, we read that Jesus was not interested in the crowd. He wasn't interested in the crowd. The crowd followed him. He always had a huge crowd around him, but it never was he ever looking to chase after a large crowd. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? How often do we read when he healed the leper, what did he say? Go to the temple and do the rites that you need to do by the law, but don't tell anybody, right? Like that, that was his MO. That was the way his modus operandi. He wasn't looking for a huge crowd. He wasn't looking for fame. He wasn't thinking like, man, my ministry is huge and it's going to get bigger. Man, I'm going to totally just wipe out the Pharisees and the Sadducees because that wasn't his heart at all, was it? He was about the father's business. That's what he was doing. That's all that he was doing. He wasn't worried about notoriety and fame. And so here's the scribe this random scribe that calls out and says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Wherever you're going to go, I'm going to follow you. And the truth is, the scribe probably, maybe, and this is just Smiley talking here. This isn't anything that I read in a scholarly work or anything like that. But it seems to me that maybe the scribe was just kind of thinking like, his closest disciples are a bunch of idiots. They're a bunch of just fishermen that are uneducated. I have a lot to offer here. I could be his second in command like real quick if I get on this team because... I'm smart. Maybe that's what he was thinking. Maybe he was honestly in a moment thinking for real, man, I, this guy's different. And I want to follow him. I don't know what his motivation was. We don't know. We're not told. But the truth is, you see Jesus' response. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so what was Jesus doing? He was calling out the scribe because the one person on the entire earth that knows exactly what we're thinking, exactly what we're feeling. When Jesus was walking the earth, he knew everybody's emotions. He knew what they were thinking. He knew all that. He was God in the flesh, right? So here he is and he calls him out and he says, listen, there's a cost associated with following me. There's a cost. He's saying, look, your money, your wealth, your safety, your home, your comfort, all of that is not gonna be your norm if you're my disciple. And I want that to sink in for us. Our cost, our money, our wealth, our home, our comfort, everything that we hold dear to us, it's not the norm if you're really a disciple of Christ. Now, I wanna caveat that with something. God is gracious and gives us homes and cars. I'm so thankful I don't have to walk from Rochester to here every day, especially right now when it's cold, right? He gives us those things. So I'm not saying that we should just sell it all and be in poverty and do, live a life like that. I'm gonna talk about that a little bit later, but I just want you guys to get your head around the fact that when Jesus said these things, he meant what he said to them and to us. Another one of the followers in his crowd, and I'm calling him a follower because by we're gonna read more about what Jesus said about disciples, right? But by 
definition, yes, we see the word disciple used here, but it was very loosely used because you're, we're going to be looking today at the difference between the 12 disciples, the disciples that, he, that Jesus was like, you're my close disciples, and all of them in the periphery that were just walking around in the crowd. There's a difference between the two of them. And so here's this other person, this other follower, and says, hey, let me go bury my father. And it seems like Jesus is saying something really harsh, doesn't it? Like, no, let the dead bury their dead. Don't worry about it. But I want to kind of look at this because in the Greek, we get a little bit more of a flavor with the tenses and things that kind of explain what this guy was saying. He was not saying like, my recently deceased father needs a hole dug in the ground, or I need to open up the cave, which was their custom, and put him into the cave. That, that needs to happen. If that, were in the, if that had happened, he would already be in the midst of it. He wouldn't have been there talking to Jesus. You understand? So that kind of gives us a clear indication that that is not what he was saying. Here's what he was saying. He was basically saying, let me wait until my dad dies. Now, whenever that happens, I mean, someday, when he dies, I'll follow you. And I think that that is different. It kind of puts a little different spin on it, doesn't it? Because the truth is, is that <laughs> Jesus says, follow me. That's his response. Follow me. Let the dead, let the dead spiritually, let those that are spiritually dead, let those that have not been asked by Jesus to follow him, let them bury their dead. That's what he's saying. He's like, if you're waiting around for an inheritance, you're waiting for the wrong thing. If you're waiting around because you love your family, well then, that's awesome, but that's not the best thing. It's a tough section of scripture, isn't it? And I want us guys to really think about what Jesus is calling us to when we walk with him. What is Jesus calling us to? What is the difference between these disciples that he called and they said, yep, I'm following you right now today. I'm dropping these nets and I'm walking out. What does it look like between that and the crowd? So we're going to look at some things that Jesus said that tell us what a disciple is. And then we're going to see the difference between being a disciple for Christ in the modern day and what it looks like to nominally follow Jesus, which is what the crowd did. Luke 14, anybody ready to hit me yet? We good? Luke 14. I want you guys to flip over there with me. We're going to look at some other scriptures of where Jesus said some hard things about what it is to be a disciple. Luke 14, verse 26, says this. If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish? Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's hard. That's hard. As I was studying this week, I just, I was honestly blown away by the fact that I'm like, man, Lord, is that true of me? Like, is, am I forsaking everything? 
Do I actually, and I want to kind of caveat this because I know we have some younger folks here in the room, but I want to say, he's not saying you have to hate your family or that you have to hate your brother or sister or that you have to, that's, he's using that word to try to really make a stark contrast between the two things, right? What he's saying is you need to love me more than the one on earth that you love the absolute most. Like in comparison, we were praying about that this morning. It just got brought up randomly in prayer, which was such a testament to me to say, yes, you're on the right track. Keep teaching this, right? But Justin brought it up in prayer this morning about this fact that, that if, if we look at God and we love him so much that everyone in the whole world would say like, wow, it looks like you don't even care about anybody in your family in comparison. That, you're on the right track. That's what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us that he needs to be our number one priority above family, above success, above even our own lives. You guys, we're called to bear his cross. And I want you to think about what his cross looked like for a second. I've been around people in church sometimes that are like, ah, oh, it's my cross to bear. And it's like, well, no, it's not. It's actually his cross he's asking you to bear. But number one, and number two, your, your problem is, is that your kid swore. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a real cross. Like, not to minimize it, but you know what I'm saying? Like, think about it. What's he saying? He's like, dude, give up your life. Like, your life is not as important as serving the Lord. I mean, let that sink in. I've had the privilege of a whole week of studying this. You guys are just hearing this the first time. So I appreciate that it took a few days for me of really chewing on that for me to say, wow, God, that's not me. I want that to be me with all my heart. I want that to be true for me. But it, I can't, I'm not going to stand up here and act like it is. But I want that to be the truth. And I want us to look and say, man, we've counted the cost not to be like the scribe and be like, I'll follow you anywhere unless it means away from my couch. <laughs> I'll follow you anywhere, Lord, as long as I've got enough gas in my tank. Right? I'll follow you anywhere, Lord, as long as it means that you do not want me to leave my comfort zone. Like, that's not what he's saying. We need to count the cost. But can I encourage you guys something? in something? We should also never stop saying, I will follow you anywhere. Counting the cost and what Jesus' estimation of that is, is that your heart then would say, I've counted the cost, Lord, and you are worth more than my life. God, you are worth more than my comfort zone. God, you are worth more than my retirement, worth more than anything in this whole world. You are worth it, Lord. That's his desire for all of us. And can I tell you guys something? That's life-changing to those around you. That's life-changing. Being part of the crowd didn't change anybody's hearts. Luke chapter 14, let's look here again in the last two verses here. Luke chapter 14, um, verse 34 and 35, he has this little addendum at the end. He said, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's he saying, guys? He's like, if you're gonna be part of the crowd, if you're just gonna be like nominally Christian and be like, yeah, sure, I show up to church on Sunday, then what's he saying? He's saying like, you could possibly be worth nothing in the kingdom of God. I'm sorry if that's hard. 
But that's essentially what he's saying. He's like, listen, if, you, if you're just walking around living your life day by day and not looking any different than anybody else around you, if you really think that your comfort is way more important than him, if you think that all these things that you see around us you know, are more important than eternally you know, striving for the kingdom of God, then you might not be a very salty person. And what's he saying here? He's like, that's just, it's thrown out. Now, what he's not saying is that that means that you're not saved or that you're not going to be in heaven. He's not saying any of that. He's saying, what is our mission on earth? Our mission is to tell others about Jesus. Our mission is to live a life that is different than those around us because we've been changed by the one and only Savior in the whole world, Jesus, right? Like, it should look different. And I feel, guys, like this describes the modern American church for the most part, doesn't it? Am I alone? I feel like this is a good and apt description for most of the church. For the most part, I feel like we've lost our saltiness. Why? Because I think most of the church is not willing to be disciples. I think that's just the facts. Most of us are not willing. We're, we're way more comfortable being nominal Christians and being part of the crowd. Nominal Christianity will get you to heaven. Because the Bible tells me very clearly that you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be in heaven. So I am not talking about that. I want to make that absolutely clear. What I'm talking about is this, is that do you want to have an impact on a dying world or do you not want to? Like, do you want to see the seacoast area and New England in revival or do you want to just continue with the status quo? These are the questions that I feel like we need to ask. Because nominal Christians think that just because they've accepted Christ and that they're going to heaven, that that's good enough. And the truth is, guys, that that's entirely missing the point of the gospel. The gospel is not self-focused. The gospel is not like, sweet, I've got my ticket in. I'm good. All y'all can go to hell. But that's what nominal Christianity says, isn't it? By their action, that's exactly what they're saying. I don't want that to be true for us. I don't want that to be true for me. You guys, Jesus had the crowds all around him all the time. And you know what? He cared for them. He loved them. He took care of them, right? He fed the 5,000 and later fed another 4,000. And that was just the men. So we don't really know the number. It was huge. He did all of these wonderful, amazing things. He healed a ton of people. But do you know who he used? The disciples. That's who he used. And I don't know about you, but I am sick to death of wanting to see God use me, wanting to see God use us as a church and just not seeing the fruit of what I want to see. I'm sick to death of it. I'm tired of compromise. I'm tired of a, an unwillingness to press into God. I'm not hammering on anybody here. I'm talking to me, like I said. I'm tired of that, aren't you? I want to see New England come to Jesus. I want to see Dover just blown up. I want to see this whole town and this whole area be like, there is something wacky about those people. Like they're a bunch of freaks for Jesus because that's exactly what the New Testament church looked like, you guys. People were like, I'm kind of afraid to join them because they're a little weird, but I'm also wanting to join them because there's something different. Are we okay with the status quo or do we want to see something different? Because if we do, it starts here and it starts now. It starts with us saying whenever Jesus says, follow me, it says, I'm following you. And I don't care what that looks like to the world. Yeah. I'm following you, God. And if that means that you want me to go to Africa, well, then I'm going to figure that out because I'm, I know you're guiding it. 
But the harder thing and the more important thing is, God, I'm following you. And if that means I need to give a ride with a really crazy person with my husband and I, then I'm going to do that. Or if I, need to, if I need to step out and like actually get to meet my neighbor, then I'm going to do that. Like, that's the harder thing, isn't it? Man, Lord, my kids are driving me nuts, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to my screen and love on them. That's what I'm talking about. Do we want to really follow God or do we want to continue in the way we are? If we're going to follow, guys, the questions we need to ask ourselves are this. Are we okay and too comfortable to be bothered? Or are we waiting for a more convenient time? Because I promise you, the enemy will always put things up, the urgent things up to get in the way of the most important things, right? The tyranny of the urgency is something you hear all the time in the military, the tyranny of the urgent. And when you have someone breathing down your neck and be like, I need this done, I need this done, I need this done. Why? Well, because they didn't plan correctly. And so now it's your emergency. And sometimes you have to do that. But can I tell you, there's also times where you're like, no, you're following down on the list because I've got other things I need to do, right? Right? And I feel like the enemy loves to do that. Listen, your kid has a sports thing. Whoopity-doo, right? Like, what does that look like? How do I do that and say to a coach, listen, Sundays are important to me and to my family, and it's way more important than kicking a soccer ball. I'm sorry, I'm stepping on toes. It's real, isn't it? I believe our time here is really, really short, guys, and we don't have time to sit and wait. We don't have time for that. And I want to tell you guys something. I want you to hear me. I feel like the Lord is stirring something up in our church. And I can't wait to talk to you guys more about it at Vision Sunday, but I'll give you a little taste. And that is this, that this building is not the church. You are the church. We are the church. And I want to see us take ground. And I feel like the Lord is saying take ground. And you know what, guys? This is a fort. This is a safe place for us to come in as believers and to be recharged and rebuilt. But this is not where we take ground. This ground's taken. It says Great Bay Calvary on the outside of that building. This is ours. It's safe. When you come in here, you should be able to praise the Lord with full abandon and not worry about what anybody thinks. It's out in the world where you got to do that, but that's where we take ground, not in here. And so I want us to think differently about church. I want us to get in our heads and get in my heart that it's, we are the church, guys. So what does it look like to go out and be odd in the world? What does it look like to be salt and light in the world? And I, I want that to be for us because I don't want nominal Christianity here at Great Bay Calvary. I don't, want great, I don't want nominal Christianity at any church. But I can't speak for them. I can speak for us. I'm asking God to give us, and I want you guys to ask God to give us fresh fire to help us see clearly what the mission field is in front of us in our kids' lives in the lives of the people that we work with, in our neighbors' lives? How does it look to walk and say, God, I want to make an impact in this world. I want you to use me in that way, and that means that I've got to sacrifice some things. Let's look at Luke chapter 9. We'll be done in another couple hours. Keep with me. Just kidding. Luke chapter I'm sort of kidding. <laughs> Luke chapter 9, let's get moving. <laughs> Verse 23 says this. says, Then he, Jesus, said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit 
is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed. And he comes in his, when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's house and of the holy angels. You guys, disciples are not looking at their comfort or their schedule to figure out when it's appropriate to serve God. They're not looking at that. They, you know, I want us to understand that God does want us to be wise, like I said before. So what I'm not saying is he wants us to be wise with our money and our time. And I'm not saying that we're to live in poverty or to avoid our family entirely or to be so busy with all the things that the Lord might have for us to do that we're like completely devoid of any real empathy towards our family life or any other thing. I'm also not saying that God's telling you to quit your job and never work another day in your life. No, God tells us that we should do our work as onto the Lord, doesn't he? He tells us that we're to care for our families. He goes into explicit, I just got done doing some premarital counseling and we, we, talk, we walk through this idea that like you leave the family you're a part of and you cleave because you are your own family and that's important. So I'm not saying these things, but can I tell you that part of taking your care of your family and being blessed with vehicles and houses and all the things that God blesses us with, nothing wrong with any of that, but the truth is, is if that stuff owns us, we're not a disciple. We're not being a disciple. If that's the stuff that owns you because you've got to work hard, 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 hard because you bought a Lamborghini instead of a Toyota, right? <laughs> Which would be ridiculous around here. But anyway, if anybody did, I want to ride. I'm just saying. But the point I'm making is, guys, is that are we living within our means? Are we living in a way that's like, yes, God, I'm ready to move when you call me to move. Lord, I'm not so in over my head in debt that I can't functionally do what you've asked me to do. God, I'm not so busy with everything that I'm doing with all of my kids' lives and with all the stuff that all my hobbies and everything that I've got that I cannot say that you're worth it. Like, I, I need us to think about those things because Peter, if we look at the uh, disciple Peter, right? He had a home. He had a wife. He had a mother-in-law. He had all these things. And the truth is, is that I don't know if he had any kids. It doesn't seem like he did. We don't see that in scripture, but I'm just gonna, just follow me. He didn't tell Jesus that he couldn't follow him because he had some kids in sports. And he didn't tell Jesus that he couldn't follow him because his family hobbies are too important. And he didn't say to Jesus that his spouse just really isn't cool with it. And he also didn't say, you know what, I got a ton of commitments on my plate. My work schedule is really hectic and everything. And so, you know, I just, I can't. I can, I can maybe come once or twice a month, maybe. And that's all I can really give you, Jesus. And the sad part is, guys, is that I've heard that from a lot of people. And I am not trying to be jerk. I'm not trying to be mean. And it's more often that I hear those things and I care to admit. But the fact is, is that I love you guys and I, I can say this. You can say anything you want about me, but one thing I hope you can never say about me. If I die here tomorrow, I, I want to be able to say to you guys that I spoke the truth to you, even if it stung a little. I want that to be something that you can say about me, that I'm not going to shy away from speaking truth. And I think, guys, that in the American church, we've got so many things twisted the wrong way that the enemy has set us up to be nominal Christians and not disciples. Verse 23, back in Matthew Verse 23 says this. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly 
a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful? Oh, you have little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? You got to remember, guys, and I just want to cover this section quickly because I feel like it's, it fits so perfectly with this idea of discipleship in this. First off, you had a bunch of like grown men that were fishermen that did this their whole life and probably have been in a thousand storms. Talking to the man that they had just witnessed the night before healing and, 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 and doing all this work, and yet somehow they're like, wah, the waves are freaking me out, right? Like, do you see how little faith they did have? Isn't that really comforting to you? It's comforting to me to be like, you know, when I come to you, God, and I'm like, ah, like he's like, dude, it's okay, right? Because if you notice, he was asleep because Jesus knows what's up, and he's not afraid. He's not walking in worry like we do, like I do. But I want you to understand a simple truth here. And it's something that we've got to understand is that I promise you guys, if we as a church decide to be disciples, waves are going to come. If we honestly in our family say, Lord, you are more important than all this stuff. And I am literally reorganizing my schedule to fit what I feel like you're calling me to do. I promise you guys, waves are going to come. Do you notice how it says that and suddenly a great tempest arose? Suddenly, do you think that that was by accident? Now, I want to I clarify something, right? Because I think sometimes I don't ever want to give the enemy more uh, credit than he's due. The enemy can cause a ton of waves. The enemy can do a ton of things. But guess who he has to go through first? God. He has to go to God. We learned that in the book of Job that he goes up and he's like, hey, I want to do this, this, and this. And God's like, mm, you can do these things, but not that thing. So there's not one thing that comes our way, guys, that is not filtered through the hand of God. And that should be a comfort. Because if God is allowing that in your life, I promise you, I promise you, you're going to walk through it. And all our only job is to hang on for dear life to Yahweh. But that's the, that's the way it is. There will be waves and the enemy never likes it when Christians stop being nominal Christians and when they really start saying, no, I actually believe what Jesus says here and I want to follow that. Like when people stop doing that, I promise you the enemy is not going to be happy with you. And you will see attack like you've never seen in your life. You will see it. And the fact is, is that when we are, start being disciples that are sold out Jesus freaks, that are just running headlong into this town and into this world and saying like, I don't care what people think of me. I care more about God and I wanna see people come to him. And I, that matters more to me than anything else. When we start doing that, Satan's gonna come up against that in a hurry. Yeah. We're going through a group that I'm excited to talk to you guys about in a little bit, it's called Rooted, and it's this discipleship experience, and we just went through a week that deals with spiritual warfare, and can I tell you guys, we had one person end up in the hospital for a little bit, we had serious attacks on all fronts, it was insane, and we have done it one other time, and we had another person end up in the hospital that time, and it's not a joke, right? There is actually a spirit world that we cannot see. But the reality is, as Christians, guys, is that we are absolutely on the winning side. Amen. And it's important to remember that because I think I said on Wednesday night that, you know, Satan loves to be like, hey, right? Or it's actually not Satan because he's not omnipresent. So it's probably this tiny little imp of a demon that's like, hey, right? Like <laughs> trying to like flex his muscles on you. And it's kind of scary sometimes, right? 
But the fact is, is that God is bigger. God is going to win, and it's fa- we're told in Ephesians 6 to suit up, to suit up in the armor of God, to get ready. You know, those of us that are in the military, when we're back on home base, we're not wearing all of our battle rattle. But when we go out into battle, we've got flak vests, and we've got all sorts of stuff, and we are loaded to bear, ready to fight, except if you're in the Air Force, then it's all put away in a thing because we're trusting Marines and other people to go do that, <laughs> right? I'm just real. That's the fact, right? I, listen. If the enemy makes it to an Air Force base, y'all just, we're hosed. <laughs> we're like, send the planes! They're too close! Ah! Right? You guys, the fact is the enemy is coming for us if we get serious about following God. And he's going to come, but can I promise you and trust you on one thing or encourage you in one thing? To trust God with it and not to run back to your nominal Christian life, which is exactly what the enemy wants you to do. But to press in. I think of 9-11, and I'm not trying to get too weird about this or nationalistic, but listen, when 9-11 happened, what was the enemy's whole goal? Beat us into submission. Tell us, like those towers falling down, you better not come after us. And what did we do? We punched them in the face with everything we had. And I feel like spiritually, guys, the enemy's gonna come up against us and he's gonna knock our towers down and he's gonna do things that are gonna hurt and we might cry some tears and we might be frustrated and we might be like, God, why did you allow this? And all those things are true, but can I tell you something? God is saying, stand with me, stand. Because this life is a blip on the radar and you have an eternity to spend in heaven with me. There's not one problem that will ever come our way that is more uh, you know, drastic more horrible than seeing someone that you know that God said, go speak to that brother, go speak to that sister, and you didn't do that. Listen, God's gonna make a way, he's gonna, he's gonna tell him about him, but why would you not wanna be the one to be used? Do you understand? I don't want anything in this world to stand against my following after God. And I'm also not standing up here and acting like I do it all that well, because I don't. But I'm asking us as a church, can we be that church? Can you guys like say like, man, Lord, you are that important to me. And I want that more. And can we be gracious enough with each other to to say like, listen, man, like come out with me. I want to do this thing, whatever this thing is. Listen, I'm not much of a track guy, but I'll tell you this. I love relational evangelism. I love going and talking on the street to someone. I used to do this in Nebraska all the time. We would grab a hacky sack when I was much younger and more nimble. And we would like, we would do hacky sack and these guys would come up around that some of them were homeless and some of them were this in Omaha, Nebraska. And the coolest thing was is that they would all be cussing and they'd be swearing and lighting cigarettes and doing everything that they were doing because they're just people. And we wouldn't. And then we'd be like, start to talk about like, man, last night at church was amazing. And they'd be like, what? Right, they'd miss the hacky sack. That was a great way to like get a point, right? Be like, yeah, you didn't see that coming, right? But do you guys realize how many people got brought into the church and came to the Lord just from something silly like that? Like God, any God-honoring means that we have to use, I want to use them. And I want to use this building as a tool, not as a place to come every week and be in a fort and keep everybody out. You guys, if we stand with the Lord, I promise you this, he's going to calm our waves. He's going he's gonna to move on our behalf. And we're going to get to see things that we would never have seen had we not just stood. And I want to see God move. And I want us to get off our spiritual butts and get all in. 
That's what I want. I want that for me and I want that for us as a church. I want to be all in. I want us to not be the crowd because God didn't ever, Jesus never wanted the crowds. He wanted disciples. So in conclusion, I just want to say this. This is a lot of emotion and there's a lot of stuff here, but God isn't looking for an emotional response from any of us. We're not to be the scribe. He's asking us to take a huge step. And I want us to ask the question of this. What does it cost to be a disciple? What does it cost you? Because the fact is, it's going to cost something. Because I don't know about you, but none of us, I don't think I'm not, walking in full submission to God. Not in every way. There's, there's still areas of my life that I don't even know about yet, maybe, that I'm like, man, Lord, I really feel like I'm going all out for you. He's like, yeah, you are, except for maybe this area and this area and this area. Right? Like, that's all of us, isn't it? And so I want to say to God today, listen, what does it take, Lord, for me to be a disciple of you? What areas in my life am I not fully submitted to you? Because he doesn't want this full submission for a week or a month. He wants it for the rest of your life. And so we need to count the costs. And I want to read one final thing. Flip over to the end of Matthew chapter 28. You guys know these verses. Our great commission. The last thing Jesus says to his disciples in the gospel of Matthew is this. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. I want to say that again. Go therefore and make disciples. Disciples, not nominal Christians, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Our great commission, guys, our command and duty as believers is to go and make disciples. And I think that we need to recognize this fact that only a disciple is going to make a disciple right? A Marine cannot make an Air Force. An Army guy cannot make a Navy guy. Do you understand? Or let's put it in different terms, guys. Football players can't be baseball players, right? Like you're not going to go out and teach them how to run plays on a football field and expect that to mean that it's going to translate into home runs. I feel like so often, guys, we get all kinds of confused because we're like, well, I invited someone to church and dude, that's awesome. Like I'm not, I'm not minimizing anything, but my point is, is that what does it look like to make a disciple? Well, I don't think we understand that until we start being disciples ourselves because nominal Christians make nominal Christians. And I feel like we're really good at that. Not, I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the American church at large is really good at making nominal Christians. I think we're, we're not very good at making disciples because I think we're not very good at being disciples. And, and, and I want that. I want us to be. I want great commission, the Great Commission to be taken seriously. Listen, our mission statement right there is go, tell, live. That's, that's our mission statement. I don't want that to be words on a wall. I want us to go out into the world, tell people about Jesus and what he's done in our lives, and live a life that shows that our words line up with what we're doing. I want that for us. I want that for me. I want that for all of us because I really believe that if we start doing that, guys, we're going to be making disciples. And when disciples make disciples, that's when you end up with people just blowing the world up. That's when you, I'm spitting everywhere, sorry. That's when you end up, guys, with with a different world around you because God's moving and God's changing things. You guys, I I want you to know, and I've said it, I, I really am not up here judging it at all but I want to just take this opportunity and not waste it. I want us to take some time individually, privately. 
I'm going to give us that time to really get real with God. Because like I said, the fact is, is that none of us are entirely fully submitted. None of us, nobody is fully submitted to God. When Billy Graham got to heaven, he wasn't like, look at me, I'm the man, woo! Right, no, he was like, got to heaven and was like, oh, I'm a wretched man, right? And that's all of us. God doesn't come to us and say like, man, discipleship looks like perfection. That's not at all what he said because we see Peter as a fine example of not being perfect, right? Thomas, who's like, I don't even believe that Jesus actually said that what he was said was going to happen where I was going to rise. He was going to rise again. I don't believe that until I can touch his own skin and put my fingers in his, the holes in his flesh, right? Like we're, we, we see the example in the disciples of people that were walking and doing their best to walk with the Lord, but doing it in such a way that was still fully abandoned to the fact that it's like, it's you or nothing. It's you, Lord. I want to follow after you. And if that means, you know, death, which it did for pretty much every disciple, except John, who had to endure being boiled in oil and surviving it, right? Like, I think I'd just rather die. So what I'm getting at is, is, guys, is if you want to be a disciple, what are you willing to give up? And that's something that is between you and the Lord. What is God maybe saying to you that you need to rearrange in your life right now to be a disciple? That's between you and the Lord. I can't tell you what that is. So I want to take some time. I want to take some time for us to all answer Jesus when he's asking us, follow me. Not asking, telling. Follow me. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.